I'm excited to be here with you again. I wanted to um, hopefully share with you something that you won't lie about, you'll be honest about, and you can help other couples be honest about, and that is this whole concept of disappointed expectations. And there's not a couple that I have met or counseled that has not run into this issue of disappointed expectations. And too often what I've discovered is that there are many couples who are ready to divorce because there are so many disappointed expectations that they feel like, what's the purpose of moving on with the marriage? And what I hope I can do today is to kind of give you some ideas of some good news, but the good news may not give you what you want, but the good news may help you to become what God wants, which ultimately will give you what you want, which is a heart that's content. And I want to talk about this reality that there are blessings and disappointed expectations. And God is doing something in your life when you are being disappointed in your marriage. And, and what I want us to think about is this. And you may have heard me say this before, but if you haven't, I want to challenge you on this. We really don't have marriage problems. We have character deficiencies that show up in the marriage. Okay, now please let that sink in. We don't have marriage problems. We have character deficiencies that show up in the marriage. There are areas in your life where you are out of order and inconsistent with what God wants you to be. And that is now coming into play in your relationships. And where you find that there are character deficiencies in the marriage, there is a deficiency in glorifying God and being beneficial to the other person. Now let that sink in. Character deficiencies keep you from being deficient in glorifying God and benefiting other persons in the marriage. And too often when I hear people complaining about their spouse not cutting the mustard, their spouse again falling short of the agenda that not God set, but they set, And I began to expose to them, is it possible that these disappointments you keep experiencing in this marriage is a God divine appointment for you to look at something a little different? And my job today is to get you to think about it, because for many of you, you are disappointed with your marriage. You're disappointed with your spouse and you've stopped talking about it, but you haven't let go of it in your heart. And you become casual, you become polite, but there is a subtle distance, even though there is a public closeness. Because in your heart, you are done. You're upset with them because they are not meeting the expectations. And I want to say this to you, where there is a pattern of disappointed expectations, there's also a pattern of character deficiencies, which reveal a pattern of selfishness. And too often, the person in the marriage who's the most disappointed with the marriage is the one who's the most consumed with themselves within that marriage. Now, I say all of that to say this. There is blessing and disappointed expectations in the marriage. You know what I find interesting? Marriage was meant to be the place where people who have already died come to live. But you know what I'm finding? Marriage is a place where people who are living for themselves come to die. 
And what they don't understand is God intends for them to die and he's using their spouse to lead them to die because life is too much about themselves. But because they think that the marriage was designed to lead them to all their happiness, not an avenue to the transformation into the character of Christ, they believe the problem is external. And so for many, they leave that one and show up with another one. And as one man said to me on his fifth wife, you know, maybe it's me. I said, you know, I think you may be right. But it took him five women to come to the conclusion that maybe it was not the other person. And all of his disappointment, he would divorce this wife to marry this one, divorce this one to marry this one. And it came down to this reality. I am disappointed in my marriage. I want us to explore just for a second some of the core passages and really just one. I want us to look at Proverbs 13 for a moment and I want us to just break it down and I want us to see the application of this particular proverb as it relates to marriage. Now, the, the text, again, when you look at Proverbs, wisdom literature, you'll discover this, that when you read a passage in Proverbs, you're going to see one of two things. You're either going to see a prescription for life or you're going to see a description of life. And sometimes in the description, you can conclude a prescription. And sometimes in the prescription, you can conclude and see a description. Does that make sense? So you read a proverb, it gives you a description. You read a proverb, it gives you a prescription. In this particular passage, we see a description of life existence where we can have a prescription that comes from life existence. Notice in Proverbs 13, he says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And I want us to understand this, but we're going to look at a few famous uh, commentators to read what they say about this. And then we want to see how does this fit with marriage? Because when one is disappointed and their marriage and their expectations are disappointed. There is a hope that's being deferred and their heart is sick. But what they don't understand from that word deferred, sometimes that word deferred means delayed and sometimes it means denied. And for many people in their marriage, their hope is being deferred or delayed, but many of their hopes are being denied and their hearts are sick and the expectations are exposing something about the issues of their hearts that they're not paying attention to. And I want us to just think about some of those things. And so as we're counseling couples who are so disappointed in their marriages, we can begin to say to them, you know what? I'm so excited that you're disappointed. Now, that might scare them a little bit. But then you can say, because God is up to something good even though you're feeling bad. And I want us to explore that together. So can we take some time and just kind of break this down together and work it through? So again, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Look at these two commentators. You have them at the bottom there. Um, One is from Walvert and one is from uh, Matthew Henry. And notice what they say. We're going to look at the first one here. And let me just turn. I'm sorry, I get so caught up. That's why I love people doing this because I'll talk and you'll be trying to write things down and I'll, I'll miss it. Okay, you got that so far? Uh, What do you have in front of you? Do you have it as good for a person to have hope? Good, 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 because I I messed this up a lot. There we go. There we go. All right. It is good for a person, watch this, to have hope, 
But if it is not fulfilled for a long time, deferred means put off a long drawn out. Then he experiences disappointment. His heart becomes sick. But when hope is fulfilled, a person is refreshed. Again, this is uh, Zuck. The gratification of hope gives encouragement like a tree that gives life. Now, I like that. But here is where I want to hang my hat with this. And I want you to look at this other commentator, which I thought was so profound when he said this. Now, watch this. This is Matthew Henry. Take it back. Take it back. There we go. You guys see it as therefore? No, no, no. There we go. It is therefore our wisdom not to promise ourselves any great matters from the what? Creature not to what? Feed ourselves with any vain hopes from this world lest we lay up a matter for our own vexation. Now, can I put that in plain English? Stop putting hope in people and circumstances or it will vex you for the rest of your life. God never intended for you to put hope in people and circumstances. The more you put hope in people and circumstances, the more sick you will become. And is it possible that God is trying to bring you to the end of yourselves because you have too much hope in the person you're married to and not enough hope in the agenda that God has called you to? And as a result, there's a lot of sickness in your soul that you think is tied to the character deficiency or the ineptness of your spouse. When God is saying, no, that's not about your spouse. I want you to see something about your own heart and where you've placed your hope. So this feeding of ourselves, this vain hope, I want us to think about this for a second, and I want you to let this sink in. And look with me at point number one. When we feed ourselves vain hopes from this world, we will have what, guys? Say it real loud. Don't murmur it. Say it it strong and wrong as you've been. Come on. There you go. Because you've been strong and wrong in this marriage. You've had these unrealistic expectations and you felt like you deserved it. And I always ask a very stupid question. Show me in the Bible what you deserve other than hell. Does that make sense to you? When we feed ourselves vain hopes from this world, we will have unrealistic expectations of our marriages that turn into disappointed expectations, hope being put off in our marriages, making our hearts sick. Now, think about it this way. And this is what I find fascinating. We live in a sinful world expecting a sinless, comfortable life with our spouses. True or false? Resulting in disappointed what? I, I, I got caught in this gap. I, I, I didn't see it. I, I really didn't think about it, how I wanted all this comfort in this sin-filled world as if I'm married to perfection. Now, I think she's perfection. I'll say that. Okay. I am on recording, right? <laughs> we want all of this perfection in a sin-filled world. Now, I live in a city of 8.5 million people. I live in Houston, Texas. Every morning, there's going to be someone crazy in traffic. Doesn't matter what day it is. Someone's going to do something crazy. 
My problem was every morning I was not prepared for foolishness. And every morning I found myself going off and someone had to remind me, Nick, man, think about it. When you wake up tomorrow and you get on the freeway, is someone going to do something stupid? I said, yes. What about the next day? Is someone going to do something stupid? Yes. Why not prepare for the foolishness instead of complaining about it? Well, now that makes sense. So now before I get up in the morning, 6, 7, 30, get ready to get on the freeway, I'm saying to myself, someone is going to do something foolish today. Let me prepare. And you know what that's done for my drive? I now anticipate foolishness instead of being so shocked and so out of the way with it. Why? Because I live in a world that's filled with sin. We live in marriages where we are not yet perfect. But we want these smooth, comfortable marriages. Is that realistic, guys? It's a setup for a heart that's sick with disappointment. Here's another thing I want you to notice. We lived with a flawed spouse expecting a flawless relationship resulting in disappointed expectations. When you see people according to what you want, not according to who they are, you make demands that are just crazy. Let me see if I can put it to you this way. There is a role and responsibility that we all have. Would you agree? But there's character that we bring to these roles and responsibilities. And people will operate in every role and responsibility according to their character, not according to the command. Does that make sense? God says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, his character, as he is submitting or not submitting to God, will determine how consistent or inconsistent he will be in following that command. He has the power of God to do so. But if he's not submitting to the power of God, he'll be inconsistent in following that command. And that's based upon where his character is with God, not the responsibility he has. And too often what we do is that we look at the command and not look at the character. And we're not looking at what we have in marriage. We're looking at what we want in marriage. And as a result, we miss something. My spouse is a work in progress just like me. I expect them to carry this out to the letter because my dreams of this marriage is contingent upon their acting the way I want in this marriage. And my dreams are limited to me. When your marriage is the size of you, your marriage will be miserable. Your marriage has to be bigger than you. But when your marriage is limited to you, you're going to be sick with disappointment because you're living with a flawed individual that God is working out his agenda on. And his agenda is greater, and can I say this, a little bit slower than our agenda. Would you agree or disagree with that reality? Here's the third thing I want us to see about this. We live in an unpredictable world expecting Watch this, controlled, predictable spouses resulting in what? Disappointed expectations. Oh, if we could control our mates. We'll never say it, but we want to. If we could have the power that they would do when we want, how we want, where we want, at the time we want, boy, would we be happy. 
Is that reality? Did God ever mean for you to control your spouse? But when your mindset is that the marriage is about you, you find these realities. Here's the fourth thing I want you to see. We live expecting uninterrupted personal happiness gained from our spouses while belonging to a God who's pursuing our personal holiness, resulting in disappointed expectations. Marriage is not about happiness. That is the fruit of oneness. That is the fruit of holiness. When I make the marriage about me being happy, then I'm not pursuing the agenda that God has called me to. And as we start to explore this, what I'm doing with people as I get them to think this through and walk with me is to really think in terms of your heart and your expectations. Now, before we go any further, I want you to do this for me. I want you to take just about two or three minutes. I want you just to review, because I've said a lot in a little bit of time. I want you to review at your table. What do you think about this perspective of disappointment in marriage? How could you see this in your own marriage and in the marriage of your friend that you're thinking about? Take about two or three minutes and we'll come back and we'll build on this a little bit more. Okay? Talk about what you think, what you see. Okay, everybody, I want you to put a pen right there. I'm going to get you to come back in a moment and dialogue some more. My goal of this, again, is to expose your mind, to expose you in your process of thinking that when I'm disappointed in my marriage, what is God trying to show me? Now, here's something that I want you to think about, and it's something that Paul Tripp said, and I'm mad at him ever since I read that. Uh, I'm going to just tell you, I'm, I'm mad at him because he's right and I don't like this. But one of the books I read, and I can't remember which one, he says that when your hope is disappointed, it's because it's in the wrong place. Because the hope of the Lord never disappoints. I don't like that. Because you know what that exposes? A lot of my expectations that are disappointed are because my hope or my hope has been in the wrong place. I put, too, I put too much stock in my spouse or too much stock in this person, too much stock in this circumstance and not enough stock in the God who will never disappoint me because what he says is going to happen. He didn't always tell me when it was going to happen. What he's promised me is going to be realized. But what you promised me is limited to you and you're not God. You can't always come through on what you say you're going to do because you can't move heaven and earth and you can't determine other people and circumstances and you're limited to your design. So even when you mean well, you may blow it. But God has the capacity to come through on everything he said. Isn't that a powerful reality? And so many times when I'm disappointed with my wife or she's disappointed with me, our hope was in the wrong place. Guys, I don't like that. That takes away every excuse that I try to use in my personal life. And I have to stop making excuses and start making confessions. I don't like that. 
And when I'm working with my counselees, I try to help them see the exact same thing by using this information that I'm sharing with you to say, you know what? I know you expected some things, but you put too much hope in this. And God is exposing your heart and your disappointment and sickness here to help you place your hope in a different place and to learn from what you're doing here with your spouse. Now, I want us to take this a step further and I want us to look at these things because a lot of times, again, our expectations are unrealistic. And when they are, I want you to think about this. So walk with me at point number two for just a moment. Our unrealistic expectations that result in disappointed expectations leading to our hearts being sick expose the selfish preoccupation of our what? Hearts. Part of the challenge of disappointed expectations is to get you to look at what's happening in your heart. And as I'm working with people, as I work with myself and being disappointed in marriage, I have to go through this and hopefully grow through this by doing some personal evaluation of where I am with my wife in that moment or for that day or for that week or for that month or for that quarter, if you will, because something in my heart is not right, but I'm making it about my spouse. Here's what I've discovered uh, personally and as I've worked with marriages and thinking this through. Our unrealistic expectations reveal that our hearts are consumed with a life that is reduced to what we want and what we think we need above loving God and loving our spouses. Let that sink in for a moment. When your world is reduced to what you want and what you think you need, you see your spouse as a help or a hindrance. And they need to get with the program. Not they are a person to be loved. They are a resource to be used or a hindrance to what needs to be done in your life. And God may be allowing you to be disappointed in this area so much so you could see your heart. Here's the second thing I want you to think about in this. Our unrealistic expectations reveal that our hearts are consumed with loving self and wanting our spouses to love us as much as we love ourselves. Now, I'm going to say something here, and I want you to bear with me. And if you get mad, then that means it's really you. If you don't get mad, you probably understand it by now. We are full of ourselves. Okay? We're so full of ourselves that we expect our spouses to be as full of ourselves as we are. Can I tell you a secret? Your spouse will never love you as much as you love yourself because you are full of yourself. And so they're going to always fall short. And you know what? You should be falling short, too, because the Bible tells you to get over yourself. Does that make sense? And many of our disappointed expectations reveal just how full of ourselves we are. And you know what we're telling our spouses? I'm so mad at you right now because you're not thinking about me right now as much as I'm thinking about me. That's really what we're saying. I mean, think about it. When you're angry with your husband or you're angry with your wife, why are you angry? I mean, really, just be honest. At this moment, it's all about me. And if you had any consideration in your little bone, any consideration at all, you would be thinking about me right now as much as I'm thinking about me. You selfish, stubborn individual. I'm going to bed. I don't want to talk to you. You catch that? And I love it 
when I have these conversations with people and they'll say, you know what? My husband is so selfish. My wife, she is just so stubborn. And I'll listen and I'll lean over and I'll say, really? What makes them so selfish? What makes them so stubborn? And I'll let them keep going and I'll keep asking the question a different way until it becomes obvious. And I'll say, I want you to notice every time I've asked you the question of what makes them so selfish or what makes them so stubborn. Have you noticed who keeps coming up in the conversation? Now, by default, if it's okay for you to keep bringing up you because they're so selfish and stubborn and their IQ only rises when they do what you want. They're very stupid until you do what they want, but their IQ becomes very intelligent when they do what you want. It's amazing how all those change when you get your way. Did you see a common denominator here? If it's right for you to be this full of yourself, is it not right for them to be that full of themselves? Or is this a Matthew 7 principle? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you can clearly see how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Is it possible that the things that gripe you the most about your spouse are the things that God is trying to get you to deal with in your own heart? Is it possible that those things grab you so much and irritate you so much because you're looking at yourself? Perhaps in these disappointed expectations, God is saying, look at you. Here's the third thing I want you to think about because that's too convicting. I want to move on now. Um, I don't like this conversation we're having. And I'm angry at Joel for making me teach this. Our unrealistic expectations, watch this, reveal that our hearts are consumed with seeking solutions with our spouses that serve our satisfaction instead of seeking solutions with our spouses that lead to our sanctification. I don't want to grow up. I just want a formula to get this person to do what I want the way I want. So, Pastor, we are here not because we see character deficiencies in our lives and we're trying to figure out how to put off and put on so that we can glorify God in this relationship. I need a formula so we can be happy again. I need a formula so you can fix this woman or fix this guy so we can finally get what I've been longing for in this relationship. So let's get started now. Does that sound familiar to you? And what I tell people all the time, what you want from me as your counselor or your shepherd, I can't give you. Because what you want is a solution to stay selfish. And in good conscience, I can't give you that. But what I can do is give you solutions that will deal with your character deficiencies. And this marriage can change overnight. You will find that if you both overcome your agenda to be served and look at God's agenda for you, everyone will win in this marriage. Now, bear bear with me for a moment. Imagine what would happen. A couple comes to you for counseling and you say to them, you know what I want you to do? I want you to meditate on Philippians 2. Consider the interests of others as well as your own. And I want you for the next seven days Not to consider anything about yourself with your spouse, but think of all the different ways you can serve your spouse. Now, imagine if they both woke up for seven days and chose to do that with the other person. 
you think would happen to that marriage in about 30 days, 60 days, 90 days? You think there'd be a difference in the marriage? The problem with our marriage is not that we need a formula to be happy. We need to overcome our selfishness and stubbornness and get back to the purpose of our existence. God never created you and I to live for ourselves. We were always created to live for someone greater than us. That's God himself. And he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Except when you get married, then all the bets are off, right? And therein lies these overlaying disappointed expectations. All right, let me show you another one. How am I doing on my time, somebody? Because, you know, preachers, we run our mouths. We love to keep talking. We good? All right. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's take a look at D. Our unrealistic expectations reveal that our hearts are consumed with self-serving satisfaction, reducing our spouses to being a what? Means to an end. Many of your disappointed expectations are exposing this about your heart. You're not really caring about them. You're consumed with you. You want them fixed. You don't want them changed. And because you want them fixed, you're impatient because it's hindering what you want from them. When you want them changed, you recognize this is a lifelong project of character transformation as they're submitting their lives to God or lack thereof. And the same for you. But these Disappointed expectations that are making your heart sick exposes just how much you want what you want when you want it. And you believe this person needs to give it to you at your time frame. Before we go any further, take about two or three minutes. Look at this section. What do you think your friends need to deal with (laughs) as you've been thinking about them a lot? You know, your husband, I mean, your friend's husband, you know. Take about two or three minutes. We'll come back and we'll look at point number three and start building on this together. Talk about what you see. Okay, guys, let's take a look at point number three. And um, let's see if we can bring oh, a little bit of resolution to this or move us towards a way of thinking and how we can kind of turn the corner. Now that you're bleeding... Um, let's see if we can get some salve on the womb a little bit. Is that, is that possible? But before we go further, let me ask you a question. Have I said anything yet that doesn't fit almost any marriage that you've counseled? These are universal realities that if we take time to evaluate, we can use this to help people see that the problems that you think are so big are really very small. And they're contingent upon a reality that you are rejecting that the world is bigger than you and that it's about God's glory and not your personal satisfaction. But once you operate according to God's glory, you will experience personal satisfaction. It is the byproduct of submission, not the goal of your existence. Does that make sense? When you do these things because you want to know him 
become like him, be useful to him. When you learn God's word, you live God's word and you love others through this, you get the fruit of his presence. And the Bible says, in thy presence is fullness of joy and thy right hand are pleasures forever. If you obey me, I will disclose myself to you. If you pray the way I've called you to pray, if you think the way I've called you to think, if you've practiced what I ask you to practice, my peace and my presence will be with you. If we understand that, that also includes marriage. But too often we get into our marriage and we make the marriage about ourselves. And God is using the marriage to grow us up. We've been using the marriage to make us happy. God has your sanctification in mind. People ask me, what is your advice for people getting married? And I say this now. I used to say different things. But now I say this. Look at what you don't like about the person. And if you can live with that, get married. <laughs> now, if you'd asked me that 25 years ago, I would have had a different answer. But Because I, I, as I do a lot of marriage counseling, what are the issues? I don't like this disgusts me, blah, 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 blah. And I don't think I can live with it. Well, I'm asking the question, did this just happen? This person has been this way the whole time. You're just now discovering this. I told you this before you married them. And now all of a sudden this is a problem. Oh, I get it. You ignored it because of what you liked. And your marriage was so self-serving anyway. As long as you were getting the goodies, you felt you could deal with that other stuff. Now I say, you know what, if you can follow what God says and you can look at what you don't like, go for it. Because marriages aren't breaking up over what you like about a person. Have you thought about that? I mean, if we just get real shallow, I mean, really shallow. Marriages are breaking up because of what you don't like. You weren't following Jesus anyway, so we just put Jesus to the side. Because if you were following Jesus, you never would have did what you did from the beginning. But since you're there now, does does that make sense? And then you bring them back to reality. If you were to understand what God has called you to do and live, you can live with what you don't like because the goal is to love the person regardless. But since you're in the flesh. Can you live with that? Praise the Lord. Now, if you want to be biblical, start loving out of God's will not to get what you want, which is not love at all. You just want to be biblical. Think about a marriage as being bigger than your personal happiness and you'll make different decisions about getting married if you just want to be biblical. Does that that make sense? I'm not saying that you say, oh, you know, if I'm not attracted to the person, I should marry them anyway because I want to suffer for Jesus. I'm not talking about (laughs) stuff like that, okay? Because, you know, people take the kind of stuff I'm saying and they go to those logical conclusions. Does that make sense? I'm saying that it has to be more than your personal attraction and desire it has to be about God's agenda if you think about Adam Adam was not caught up with Eve in the beginning he was caught up with God's agenda with Eve in the beginning when it became about Eve that's when he started sinning have you thought about that because if he was really loving Eve as he was standing there with her he would not only have stopped her He would have said, hey, this discussion is over. Let's go, honey. But something happened in the garden. We don't understand all the details, but here's what I know. 
when I want my spouse to like me more than I want to lead her, I will do stupid stuff to be liked. Rather leading to be disliked to the glory of God and the benefit of my spouse. Leadership is not always popular. But when you love people, you have to make decisions that are not always popular. Does that make sense? But when you want people to like you, especially in the marriage, well, you succumb to a lot of things that you know you shouldn't and you hold it in your heart. That's not love. Does that make sense to you guys? So I'm going to stop preaching. Let me get back to where we're going. All right. Back to the mold. All right. Are we ready? Let's look at number three. God can use our disappointed expectations in marriage to lead us to some important realizations resulting in placing our hope in what God has promised. That's the whole idea here, guys. Before I go any further, God needs to break your heart to build your character so you put your hope in the right place. And when that happens, you can live with your spouse, whether they are living for the Lord or not, because your hope is no longer caught up in what they can do for you. Your hope is caught up in what God has promised. Does that make sense? But he has to bring you to this place of disappointment and brokenness so you can change in how you see and what you expect out of your marriage. So God can use our disappointed expectations in marriage to lead us to some important realizations resulting in placing our hope in what God has promised from obedience to him resulting in a desire fulfilled. Here's some examples of what we're talking about. A disappointed expectations in marriage can lead us to realize that marriage is not the means of personal happiness, but a tool to practical holiness. When we accept this reality and live accordingly, we can expect blessings that come from living a holy life. What does it say? With or what? Without our spouse's cooperation. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Disappointed expectations in marriage can lead us to realize that the motivation to work on our marriage must come from a heart to do what? Please God, not a heart to please self. When we seek to please God in our marriages, we will gain satisfaction that comes from obeying God with or without what? Because that's really, really not the issue to your miserableness in the marriage. You're miserable in your marriage, not because of your spouse's doing or not doing, but your preoccupation with what they're doing as it relates to the motivation of your own heart. When you recognize that God can take what seems miserable and bring a sense of peace to your heart as you live differently, you can live with a cantankerous spouse, a godly spouse, an ungodly spouse, because you recognize The world is bigger than your marriage and God will satisfy you even with a stubborn wife or a selfish husband and that he is into transforming your character and using this person. I told this one guy this. I said, listen, I know that your wife can be a very mean person at times and I understand. But here's what I want you to think about. Look at how tough she's made you. He said, what do you say? I said, as mean as your wife has been to you and as nasty as she's been to you, can you tell me this? Has anyone else outside of your marriage been as mean or nasty to you? He says they may have, but it didn't feel like it. I said, so look at how much you can take. 
when you deal with the outside world. And because you've had it up close and personal and you've learned how to manage it at home, when you are out there now, there's not much that anybody can say to you that you have already heard now, is it? He said, it's only you, Pastor, that will take something negative and turn it around. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. Since she is not going to change and she's decided to be who she is and she's going to be up for church discipline soon because of her stubbornness, you've got to learn to live with and love her and still walk in a manner of peace and look at what God has done. Because I'm going to tell you, there is no hurt like spouse hurt. And as you learn to work through that in a God honoring way, there's not much more that anybody else can say or do. You know, when people are nasty with me, I'm like, that's all you got. <laughs> you, you, you're a weakling in this. You, you, let me show you how you really could have come at me. <laughs> Does that make sense? You know, I can see my wife. That's all you got. My husband is nastier to me than you could ever be. I mean, you know, I'm being facetious, but the point I'm making is this. You learn from these challenges to grow in your character and your faith. And it makes you stronger in a sense of walking righteously, even though you wanted what you wanted. Here's the key to contentment in life. You've got to adjust your desires to fit your situation. That's what Paul did. He said, when I lived and had a lot, I lived with it. I learned how to live with little. I learned how to live with a lot. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse is tied back to living with a little or a lot. What he's saying is, listen, when it was good, I enjoyed it. When it was bad, I endured it. But in the good and bad, I was living by the power of Jesus Christ. I wasn't living trying to control the good or living trying to push away from the bad. I lived for Christ and I adjusted my desires to fit the situation. When I didn't have a lot, I didn't complain and think about what I had. I lived with what I had. When I had a lot, I wasn't scared I was going to lose it. I enjoyed it, but I lived for Jesus. That's how you learn to be content. Does that make sense? And when we adjust our desires to fit the situation, oh my goodness. But what happens when you're angry or you're worried? What's going on? You've got more desire than you have control. Right? And now you're angry because you can't satisfy that or you worry because you're consumed. But your desire cannot be satisfied by the people and circumstances you're leaning on. And you are freaking out. Instead of saying, you know what, I can't have what I want right now. So obviously in God's sovereignty, he is sufficient. He is enough right now. Let me accept what I cannot have and live with what I can have. Do you know what that causes you to be in life? Flexible. And you know what happens when you start to become flexible? You walk in humility. Because part of the reality of being humble is to be flexible. You show me inflexible people, I show you some prideful, angry, frustrated people. You show me some people who are flexible and able to adapt, I show you some people who've been walking with the Lord for a while and know how to handle disappointments well. What do you think God wants for you and I? Adaptability, flexibility to assist or adjusting ourselves to his will in every situation that he brings. 
Let's look at this. Letter C. Disappointed expectations in marriage can lead us to realize that non-sinful differences, character, conduct, and conversation of our spouses from our own and learn to celebrate them instead of what? Ah, being critical of them or trying to change them. We accept this. We learn to put up with this and praise the differences resulting in enjoying and enduring our marriage, leading to contentment in marriage. And then the last point, or let me keep going. When we accept this, we learn to put up with and praise the differences, again, resulting in enjoying, enduring our marriage and being content. Here's the last point I want you to think about, and then I want to summarize it with some practical solutions. Disappointed expectations in marriage can lead us to realize that our spouse need what? And not our what? Guys, just like you want grace, your spouse needs a lot of grace. And when you're too consumed with what you want from them, it's difficult to give grace to them. When we accept this, we can become tools in the hands of God to provide the grace our spouses need to transform from their transgressions, resulting in a life that is more blessed from giving than what? Receiving. Now, I want to go on, but I think I've said a lot. So I want to give you a few minutes to think about this. And then I want to summarize some key things to wrap up with some solutions, some ways of thinking, some things we need to get to. So would you take about two or three minutes, review, 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 and then we're going to come back and summarize this with some practical things to think about and move forward into. Okay? So take about two or three minutes. Talk with each other. Okay, guys, let me summarize everything because I want you to get your break. And then when you come back from your break, um, I want to get some questions from you about what you think and see. And then we're going to move into this whole idea of what it means to trust. If the Bible says not to put confidence in mankind and flesh, but then another verse says his heart trusts in her and she does him good all the days of his life. How do we understand the concept of trust? And we're going to talk about that later. But I felt like we need to talk about being disappointed before we talk about trust. Does that make sense? And then hopefully we can pull those two things together in practicality. So let me just kind of summarize and we'll take a little break. We'll come back. Here's key point number one. Expectations not being realized can lead us to what? The end of ourselves. That's part of the goal. Okay. To be broken so that you come to the end of yourself and in building genuine faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, resulting in living a life prepared and prescribed by God in this life within our marriages. That's part of the blessing of disappointed expectations to break you, to move you from a life filled with what you want to a life filled with what God wants. And then you end up getting what you want by default. Does that make sense? If we could learn that, that becomes the blessing of disappointed expectations. Here's the key point number two. When we stop trying to fulfill our expectations through our spouses, we can begin to live for our Savior with our spouses, as explained in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. That verse says, and he died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them. Point number three is this. 
when we stop trying to fulfill our expectations through our spouses, we can learn how to enjoy the pleasures God provides through our spouses. Learn how to endure the pain God allows through our spouses. Submit to the precepts of God in his word according to our roles and responsibilities. Focus on and hold lightly to what, uh, tightly to what God has promised within this life and this life to come. Hold loosely in our hearts and hands what we would like to see, what we want, what we would like to have happen that is not promised by God in and for our marriages so that we can live a life of faith that's prescribed and provided by God within our marriages. Isn't that powerful? It's trying to break us up, guys, because our marriage has always been bigger than us. But we've reduced it to ourselves, and so we have to be broken to put it back where God intended it to be. Here's the fourth thing. Faith should be in, number one, the reality of God. Number two, the reformation of our existence in totality to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. Number three, the responsibility of God to provide, protect, and prepare us for the next life. Letter D, the rewards of God in this life and the life to come. Letter E, the return of Christ and his glory alone with the residence created by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ when he returns for us. Except when you get married. You see the principle. We've got our hope in the wrong place. And then finally, faith should not be in the realization of all of what we want in and through our marriages. Guys, I don't like telling you this one bit at all. Because to tell you this is to help me look at my own marriage. And where I have been disappointed and held grudges in my heart towards my wife, and I thought if we could just get to counseling, uh, then she'll see how mean she's been to me, and she'll see how wrong she is and how much I deserve to have what I want. It was God interrupting my heart to expose me to these realities that I'm sharing with you. And what's sad is I had fooled myself about myself and thinking I was justified in this process. And as God began to break me, it gave me a different picture of my wife. And I began to weep. And I had to go to her and say, I need to ask your forgiveness. I have put a lot on you and not spent a lot of time loving you in many areas. And I need to ask your forgiveness. Because when I see what you have been trying to do to the glory of God, And how in worship of my own desires, you could never do enough. It's a wonder you're not in the corner somewhere. Because you could never be as full of me as I am of me. And forgive me for trying to lead you to be as full of myself as I am. Changed our marriage. I didn't realize God was breaking me. Because I lived too much from what I wanted and not what God wanted. So take a break now.